We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithanee.org.au. You know, it's so uh, powerful to me as one of the leaders in this church or one of the pastors, the one who has the opportunity to speak, to see right from the first line of the service this morning, I haven't told Anna what I'm preaching about. Anna has really no idea. The very first line talked about pressing into God and trusting Him amidst the circumstances of today. And to me, it's just like aha moment after aha moment after aha moment that the Holy Spirit is present and alive amongst us to woo us forward into the future. Is that exciting? We are not alone. God is leading us and God is guiding us in a powerful and wonderful way. And this morning, I wanna talk about encouraging you to have deep roots. And I wanna particularly talk about resilience. There's many things that deep roots talk about, but it's about finding resilience in the circumstances that we're in and what that looks like in terms of what the Bible has to say about that. So uh, we've already prayed, so let me dive into the message this morning that God would speak into our hearts and lives. A couple of scriptures that would be really helpful for us at this point is that the godly have deep roots. That's a statement, just a bland statement. The godly, the people who walk with God have deep roots. Proverbs 12, verse three. Jeremiah 17. But blessed is the one who trusts. Notice that word, trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. Oh, well, that's a cracker. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the streams. It does not fear when the heat comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Are you like that? Is that you? This scripture gives us an example, a reason how we can survive how we can sustain rough times. It talks about the heat and the drought. It doesn't matter. This tree gets through it and it's because it has deep roots. Solomon said, no one can be established through wickedness. No one, notice that? No one can be established through wickedness. A lot of people seem to be going ahead. We look at them, they're wicked people and we think, oh, how do they do that? But it says, but the righteous cannot be uprooted. Isn't that beautiful? But the righteous cannot be uprooted. It's when adversity hits your life that you and I will notice whether we have deep roots or not. Are you rooted in God's strength or are you founded on your own ability? A good question to ask, isn't it? Are you rooted in your own ability or founded in your own ability or are you rooted in God's strength? It's no um, secret to you all that I love to grow vegetables. I've got a veggie garden, it's not looking too good at the moment, it's kind of between seasons. I've grown a summer crop and uh, with great difficulty, uh, one of the things that I love growing is tomatoes. And uh, 
I don't know about you, but I'm finding it harder and harder and harder to produce good tomatoes. One thing I've noticed in gardening and veggie garden particularly is that I never have to care about cobbler's pigs. I never have to nurture um, all the weeds, dandelions, whatever it might be that comes up in my garden. They seem to do fine all the time. But whatever I count as precious, whatever I wanna grow a crop of, they get destroyed or they get eaten or they get uh, cut off by a cutworm or a bug comes along and does some terrible thing or a peacock, a peacock, um, not a, a cockatoo, sorry, not a peacock. That's that different thing. A cockatoo comes and cuts them off. Uh, one day I came out and I was looking forward to my corn cobs ripening and I had the silks on top of the silks were starting to go brown. Did you know a flock of cockatoos came and cut off every cob of corn with their beak, didn't eat it, just let them fall to the ground. It was so meticulous that I thought my son Ashton had done it. <laughs> I thought, Ashton, what have you done? You have destroyed my garden. He said, Dad, I, I didn't do it. Another time I had a crop of sunflowers and I came home from, from work and, and, and it looked like someone had got the whippersnipper at a particular height and knocked every head off. And again, Drew, what have you done with the whippersnipper? Dad, I didn't do it. It was the cockatoos, again. Not only have I had to deal with animals and pests, but I've had other difficult problems along the way. Let me share a story that is a very difficult time in my life when it comes to my gardening. Some years ago, many years ago, in fact, early on staff here at LifePoint, um, I needed someone to care for my tomatoes. I had uh, grown these beautiful tomatoes and they were fruiting up beautifully and, and, and I had these amazing, enormous tomatoes and it was a, a huge crop of three different varieties. I had uh, two different beef steaks, a brandy wine, which anyone knows is a most beautiful, almost purple colored tomato and they're massive. I had another kind of beef steak, which was huge. And then I had these ox heart tomatoes and they were huge as well. And they were bursting with life and there were tomatoes everywhere and the bushes were healthy and strong and uh, I obviously lived in an area where there was no cockatoos and we were going really fine and so I turned to my best friend at the time Pastor Phil <laughs> our relationship has changed this is and I said Pastor Phil I'm going away for two weeks these things are at their end they're about to colour and they're about to fruit can I trust you to come and look after my tomatoes to water them and care for them and do what needs to be done while I'm two weeks away on annual leave no trouble Phil so that'll be just fine and so I left my tomatoes in the good care of my friend, Pastor Phil. So away I go and, and, and uh, chatted with Phil along the way. How are we going? Yeah, everything's good, no worries. They're starting to ripen up. Some have got color on it. Well, little did I know that he would be up to no good. And while I was away pondering the beautiful growth of my tomatoes and how everything was going so well, Pastor Phil had teamed up with Julie Hungerford, then at the time our church administrator, you have the senior pastor and the administrator of this church up to no good, thinking, what can I do to help Lloyd's tomatoes to grow better? How can I support these tomatoes to be the best that they could possibly be? Well, there was only one thing that they could do. Pastor Phil sent Julie France, Julie Hungerford, sorry, on a, on a very naughty task. 
down to Vinny's. He sent her down to Vinny's to get as many bras as he could. Dozens of bras, braziers. And they carefully and meticulously slung all my beautiful buxom tomatoes in bras, <laughs> tied them up very tenderly, very gently. Well, I come home from holidays, don't I? Now, I was asking for a certain sense of care from Pastor Phil to water and to keep an eye on my tomatoes, but I think he had gone to the nth degree of when Simone and I came through our house and I just thought after unpacking the car, I'll just zip out the backyard and see how my tomatoes are going. Well, Pastor Phil had turned my backyard into a lingerie display. <laughs> Here were 80, 100 tomatoes carefully suspended in these bras. Oh my goodness me, I thought, what an embarrassment to the neighbourhood and to the neighbours of what he had done. But um, not only had he hung them in bras, but I must share with you that each bra carried a name written on it of people that I might have known. And I'm going to leave it at that. I assure you that was the last time that Pastor Phil looked after my tomatoes. We've had a lot of fun over the years, haven't we, Phil? Many funny things. On a more serious note, for a little tip about growing tomatoes, I found that a little handful of phosphate, when you plant the roots, phosphate of ammonia, when you plant them or transplant them into the ground, makes a huge difference to the tomatoes. One of the most vulnerable areas of growing a tomato is their roots, if they have poor roots and develop nodules on their roots and they can't absorb the moisture, then you'll have a poor bush. But recently I learned this trick and I've planted each of my tomatoes with a little handful of this stuff and it makes such a strong bush as it feeds the roots and grows that roots and those developments into the ground. You see, it's developing those roots that is powerful for you and for me. And the Word of God says that it depends on the root development that you have will depend on how you face the circumstances of life, whatever they may be. And it is so important that you and I as believers in Christ, that we have deep roots. It speaks of two different contexts of life that we face. It talks about heat and it talks about drought. When Scripture talks about heat, it talks about a particular vortex um, that we need to go through, something that we have to squeeze through that's unavoidable. It could be preaching a sermon. It could be navigating a difficult divorce. It could be uh, dealing with grief and the loss of a job or a, or a person or, or something that's of value to you. It's a particular circumstance in life that's hard to go through, but you'd still have to go through it. You have to squeeze through it in some way. And it says in Scripture that the tree that is healthy can handle the heat because it's beside the moisture of the little stream and it's continually supplied in, the, in that season and the leaves remain healthy and strong and don't get burnt because they're drawing that amount of moisture that they constantly need. 
And as we face those pressure cooker times, it, it, it says in scripture that we can draw enough resource from our God, from our King, that we will maintain good leaves through those seasons. In another uh, thing, it says droughts uh, appear in life. What are droughts? Well, our seasons of lack, dry seasons of life, times when you lack in resource, that can be a long duration of a lack of resource physically. Could be an illness that you're suffering with or new news from the doctor that's come your way. It could be a mental journey that you're struggling with that takes you low through depression. It could be a season in life where you just feel really dry spiritually and you're praying hard like uh, Pastor Phil and, and AB have talked about the last couple of weeks and nothing much seems to be happening. You're crying out to God, but He seems to be at a distance and the, and the ceiling's like brass. There's times of both heat and there's times of both drought. And we will all face these times in life. We've talked a little today about church history that this is not new what we're navigating. It's new to us because we're the people dealing with this season right now. But in history, the church has endured these things over and over again. And the church is shown to be resilient. But there are times, aren't we, that we don't perform very well. There are times that we fail to be what we should be. And that's okay, that's what it is to be human. That's why Jesus died on the cross, because He knows our limitations. He says in Psalm 103, but we are dust. He understands the frailty of what it is to be a human being. So we all go through times when we lose it. Can you remember most recently to a time that you have lost it? You've had a missy fit? You've struggled under your circumstances? There's a word that we use sometimes, it's called unhinged. <laughs> unhinged, it's very graphic, isn't it? It's like the door falls off the wall. Unhinged. Well, unhinged can be used because you're mentally deranged and that's a permanent state that you live in. But I like the, the, the lighter view that it's a missy fit. You're having an unhinged moment. You've just lost control. You've lost your perspective and you just need to have a good old vent about the whole thing. Been there? Done that? I'm sure you have. My lovely wife come home from a 12-hour shift the other day and I celebrate her time of unhingedness because I think she was human. She's just demonstrating what it's like. Simone at the moment is uh, working in the neonatal intensive care. She has to wear a new heavy plastic gown covering her whole body. Under that is her normal nursing garb. Her boots are covered with another plastic item. She has to wear heavy um, gloves and change those every time there's a procedure, wash her hands. And she's working with babies where she's constantly doing procedures, changing, washing. Her hands are breaking down. She wears a new mask that's even harder to breathe through at the moment and a shield over her face and then a net over her hair. I was gonna bring a photo this morning to flick up on the screen, but I ran out of time because we had chickens, as you do in our chicken coop. Sim come home from that sh shift and only thing that was appropriate was to give her a cuddle as she sobbed in my arms. 
It's just almost too much for her. And we prayed and we talked about it and we shared what does it look like to have strength at those times. I wanna finish with a scripture that, and the story that sort of talks a little bit about what does it look like to trust him. Ephesians 3 verse 16 says, I pray that from your glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Let me read it again. I pray that through his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home, get this, Christ will make his home in your hearts. And then I've underlined this, as you, what is it? As you trust Him, as you trust in Him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. You will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. You see, we bring very little to the table, although it is a lot. That scripture tells me God is ready and willing to do immeasurably more than I ever ask or imagine. He's ready and willing to pour himself into my life. He's ready and willing to undergird me in every circumstance. But there's one ingredient that I must have to bring to the table. I must trust him, amen? I must trust him. It's unavoidable. It's always necessary. Simple trust in him. Let me finish with this, another story. Some years ago, I was part of a ministry retreat group, which a, a group of ministers get together and we, we uh, do some navel gazing over a week and we talk about our lives and what we're going through and pray for one another. And it's a rich, exhausting time. And it's a very meaningful time in the life of uh, our lives and to support us, keep us accountable and to help us to work through the issues of life. I'd grown very close to my friends in my retreat group. And on one particular time, we thought, let's do something different. So one of them suggested, why don't we book a, a houseboat and, uh, out of Coomera and then we will go into the back blocks of the surface paradise somewhere behind uh, Stradbroke Island, uh, South Stradbroke Island and park there and, and we can do a little bit of fishing, maybe some crabbing or, and, 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 but do all the same stuff that we normally do just to color it up in a different way. And we all thought, fantastic. So we all chipped in. And we met down at Coomera and uh, we hired this enormous houseboat. You see, there was some eight to 10 of us and, um, and we all didn't really wanna sleep head to toe in double beds. And so we had to hire the biggest houseboat that these people had so we could all sleep individually, either in bunks or in our own room on this houseboat. And it was like a floating double story small house. It was enormous. And none of the other guys had anything to do with boats remotely knew nothing at all. And so Lloyd was giving the job to be the skipper, the skipper of the houseboat. So we all boarded this boat. We all selected our rooms. We unpacked the food and we got ourselves all ready. And then I was appointed to the helm. And I went through a little course with the owner of the houseboat and he told me where things were and what was to go, how it was all work. And so I'd, I'd been educated really well. And then off we went. We had these two reasonable side outboards on the back. And you could imagine they were working really hard to push this massive structure, this big cube, this big block down the waterways. Well, it took us about two hours to get to where we wanted to go. And we parked inside the jumping pin on the ocean side, not the ocean side, but the ocean 
uh, we're on the inside of South Stradbroke Island at the tipped end of the jumping pin, but still inside the passage. And so we set the anchor and, and uh, started our time together. We had a little tinny that we could run around as our, uh, our uh, little boat tender. And then we got news. We were radioed, radioed, radioed from, this, uh, from the base to say that there's a, uh, a geological event coming our way or meteorological event. This was on the second night, in fact. And uh, they were saying that we could expect up to 100 kilometre winds. They didn't know how it was gonna happen. It was like a mini cyclone that was gonna hit the, uh, that area and, uh, and to bunk down. And uh, the guy actually came out to us with the tinny and in his little tinny and, and checked through our boat to make sure everything was okay. He walked with me through about what needs to happen in this situation and how we need to anchor. And so I followed everything to a T. We anchored or I anchored correctly to make sure we had enough rope or chain out, that we had the right anchors, two anchors in place and that we were ready for this event. But being a Bodhi, I had plan number one, I had plan number two, I had plan number three in case the anchor pulled and I had to reposition during the night or if the anchor rope broke, what would I do and how would I go into stage two or three, whatever it might be. So I had plans in place and nobody else had any experience or any idea what to do. Well, late in the afternoon, the wind started to increase. Into the evening, it got stronger and stronger. And by about 10 o'clock at night, it was blowing 100 kilometres an hour. Now, we were on the far side of the, uh, the passage and the wind was coming from the northwest and so it was getting the most strength across the short distance of the water. And by that time, the, meaves, the waves were about a metre and a half smacking into this big block, which is hardly a boat and it was not... Um, in a way that could handle big waves like that. They were just smashing over the front, into the front of the glass of the helm and it was getting quite frightening. Well, at that point, all the guys said, look, we're heading off to bed. There's nothing we can do. We leave everything in your hands. <laughs> now, honestly, that's what they said because they were useless. They had nothing, they had no way, no understanding what to do. And so they just said, we, we'll, we trust you, Lloyd, to look after it. In which I said, okay, I'm gonna do an all-nighter. So I sat at the helm all night and I was running around the boat. At one point, half the furniture blew off the roof and ended up at the beach. Uh, we picked it up in the morning. The wind was just horrendous, whistling through and this boat was slopping and rocking backwards and forwards. And I went and went downstairs. I could hear them all kindly snoring in their rooms. And Lloyd's running around like a mad chook with his head cut off. I was ready at every moment for anything to go wrong. We had one of the best anchors, an anchor called the Premium Manson Plow. And it was a good anchor, I knew it was well fitted. We had a good chain, we had a good anchor winch. Everything was good gear and I put my trust in that good gear. But I put my trust in something better than the anchor, I put my trust in God. And I was ready at any moment that that anchor, if it did break or if something else went wrong, I could go into plan B and I could use my skills to motor, reposition and hopefully re-anchor the boat if I needed to because it was all on electric winch and things like that. So I was ready for it. Well, we weathered the storm. We woke up to calm waters. It blew over with about five or six hours. And all the guys got up well rested and started to cook their bacon and eggs for breakfast. And I was exhausted. And we sat down and we had a little chat and it led into our discussions for the day. What does it look like to trust God? And each of them shared that 
they went to bed knowing they could do very little. And they just prayed and trusted God for the outcomes of this situation. And they committed everything into God's care, in, in a sense, into my care. For me, trust looked different. Trust meant to use my skill and my knowledge and capacity that God had given me with experience and the boat and be ready at any moment for things to come unstuck and that God would help me through that circumstance. You see, there's times in life where God calls you to step up, doesn't he? Not just to lay down. He calls you to press in, a bit like Pastor Neil said. If he heard the rapture was coming tomorrow, he'd be out there working his little butt off making hay while the sun shines. He'd be doing what he needs to do. And in a sense, uh, what God calls us to do at times in our life, to trust him is a very active thing. It's using the skills and the abilities that God has given you to press in, believing that God will produce the goods at the end of the day. And there's other times when we talk about the heat of light going through something that, that we really can't change. We just have to endure that period. It's a different type of trust. We just have to commit the whole thing into God's care that this will come out the other end. But both are true and both are real and God calls you and I in this season right now to trust Him. The secret ingredients, let me pray and, uh, sorry, read that scripture. I pray that from His glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength through His Spirit then Christ will make his home, I love that, in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. You will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Father God, we wanna thank you this morning that you have our back, really, in life. Lord, we have no idea what we're going to be navigating this year. We have little idea what we're going to be navigating this next week. But Lord, for each of us, I pray that you would challenge us to re-look again at what trusting you looks like. Put your finger on our life, Lord, where we're not trusting you. We might say it with our mouth, Lord, but we're not trusting you with our finances. We're not trusting you really with our spouse or our children or our circumstances or our job or, or, the, or the drought that I'm navigating with my health or those long drawn out seasons. I've somehow lost my trust, Lord. Lord, shine your light on those things that we can do better on, that we may be able to rest in you with real, deep, tangible roots and that you, Lord, would make your home in our hearts today. That amidst the circumstances of life, wherever, whatever we go through, that we would know that we are at home with you. And Lord, we remember from last week, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. I've not only got you back here and a home here for you now, but I've got a really good home waiting for you no matter what happens. The glory of the future is so amazing. It transcends the difficulties of what we experience now. 
in a huge, huge eclipse. So Lord, we don't put too much weight on the difficulties that we challenge now because we know that there is glory to come. In Jesus' name.